The reading today comes from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his, forbe in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Well, we often see, don't we, in Basingstoke, the Chinooks flying over the top of our town. And we wonder quite what they get up to. Well, I'll give you one story of what they got up to in Sierra Leone on the 10th of September in 2000, in what was called Operation Barras during the late stages of the Sierra Leonean Civil War. <laughs> The operation was aimed to release five British soldiers of the Royal Irish Regiment who'd been held by a militia group called the West Side Boys. The soldiers were part of a patrol that was returning from a visit to Jordanian peacekeepers attached to the United Nations mission in Sierra Leone. On the 25th of August 2000, uh, they had turned off the main road and down a track towards a village called Mag. Magbendi, and there the patrol was overwhelmed by a large number of heavily armed rebels. They were taken prisoner and transported to Gaberi Banner on the opposite side of Rockell Creek. The British Army negotiated the release of six of the 11 men on the patrol, but were not able to gain freedom for the Sierra Leonean Army liaison officer and the four other men before the West Side Boys' demands became increasingly unrealistic. Negotiators concluded that these were delaying tactics rather than an effort to resolve the crisis, and by the 9th of September, the soldiers had been held for over a fortnight. Fearing that the Irish soldiers would be killed or moved to a location from which it would be difficult to extract them, the British government authorised an assault on the West Side Boys' base to take place the following morning, the 10th of September. The operation was conducted by the SAS, by the SBS, by the intelligence services, no doubt involving GCHQ, and a flight of Chinooks from Odium. The SAS assaulted the village in a bid to extract the Royal Irish, whilst elements of the 1st Battalion of the Parachute Regiment launched a diversionary assault on Magembe, the West Side Boys' main base. The operation freed five soldiers, as well as 21 Sierra Leonean civilians who'd been held prisoner by the West Side Boys. 
At least 25 Westside boys were killed in the assault. 18, including their leader, were taken prisoner and handed over to the Sierra Leonean police. During the next fortnight, 300 Westside boys surrendered. But the successful rescue came at a price, the death of one British soldier, Brad Tinian, aged 28, on his first operational deployment with the SAS. His partner was expecting their daughter. That is a reminder that liberty, freedom from captivity, so often comes at a price. The death of others for the lives that they saved. Those who could do nothing were saved by those who could do something. But while freely given, it was not without cost. Today we remember those like Trooper Dinian who gave their lives for the lives of others and recall also in our passage today the plight that we have been ourselves rescued from and the benefits we now enjoy and look forward to and that they came at the cost of another. Well, if you follow on the, uh, order of, on the order of service sheet, we have so far come to see that God's desire is that we are right with him, that we have a righteous status before him. And while he is righteous, we are not. And what's more, even if we wanted to be right with him, we can't achieve it. To be right with him, we would have to be perfect and we all fall far short of that. If I were to offer the, the platform one Sunday to anybody who wants to tell us how virtuous they are, I'd be pleased to do so with just two provisos. But after you've finished, we get to interrogate you and you have to answer honestly. I don't think I'll get any takers. But what we cannot do for ourselves, God has done for us. It's been revealed in advance in the Old Testament, in the law and the prophets. Those guys, inspired by God, of course, saw it coming. The New Testament records the saving events of the death of Christ on the cross and his subsequent resurrection from the dead. And it uses several images to help us understand what was going on when Christ died on the cross. And just as the Church of Christ is presented in the, in the Bible uh, with very many different images, like for example his bride and his body, the sheep of his flock, the branches of his vine, his new humanity, um, his household or family, the temple of his spirit, the pillar and buttress of truth, so too with the salvation of Christ. That is illustrated by vivid imagery. It uses terms like propitiation, like redemption, justification, reconciliation. And moreover, just as images of the church are visually incompatible with one another. 
when you can't imagine, you can't in, yes, you can't envisage the body and the bride of Christ simultaneously. Nor can you with some of these other images of the cross. What they're doing is they're each individually shedding light from a particular angle and you take them one at a time. You can't, for example, if you think of some of the images of salvation, that they come from, they're drawn from different worlds. Justification is drawn from the world of the law court. Redemption is drawn from the world of commerce and the marketplace. And yet, with those different images, underlying them all is the truth that God in Christ bore our sins and died our death to set us free from sin and death. Underneath, underpinning all those images, is the fact that Christ was our substitute. But they're indispensable aids to understanding our salvation. And since they are images which are God-given, they're true. The various images are not alternative explanations of the cross, providing us with a range to choose from. No, they're all complementary to one another, each contributing a vital part so that we can build up the whole picture. Propitiation introduces the rituals of the temple and the shrine. Redemption, the transactions of the marketplace. Justification to proceedings in a law court. And reconciliation to experiences in the home and the family. And underlying them is the fact that Christ died and suffered in our place. And without that understanding of substitution, the whole thing doesn't have any cogency. If God in Christ did not die in our place, there could be neither propitiation, nor redemption, nor justification, nor reconciliation. So let's take these three verses in turn as we look at God's plan of salvation that is revealed in his grace. We read, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Now he uses the noun faith and the verb believe to emphasise the sole condition of God's righteousness, his offer of salvation. There are almost 200 verses that use the words believe or faith as the sole condition for salvation. However, we must recognise that we're saved through faith rather than by faith. Faith is merely the means. What's important is the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. It's vital to affirm that there is nothing meritorious about faith. That when we say salvation is by faith and not by works, we're not substituting one kind of merit, faith, for another kind of merit, works. Nor is salvation a sort of cooperative enterprise between God and us, in which he contributes the cross and we contribute faith. No, grace is non-contributory. 
You can't add to grace. The value of faith is not to be found in itself, but entirely and exclusively in its object, namely Jesus Christ and him crucified. To say justification by faith alone is just another way of saying justification by Christ alone. Faith is the eye that looks to him, the hand that receives his free gift, the mouth that drinks the living water. In the 16th century, Richard Hooker, who wrote a lot of stuff about Anglican theology, wrote, God justifies the believer not because of the worthiness of his belief, but because of his, that is Christ's worthiness, who is believed. If we have the right object, then the amount of faith is not important. This means that all are welcome who will simply believe in Christ and what he's done. And this is far better news than any other religion has going for it. They all, without exception, are merit-based systems of salvation. They depend on what we do in terms of clocking up points to gain acceptance by God. And of course, as a system, it is doomed to failure. It will crash. It will not deliver. Because 100% is the required mark to pass. And everyone is disqualified on any points-based system. Under what we might call the Christian grace-based system, all can come, regardless of their backgrounds, and pass failures. The only condition is simply belief in Christ and what he's done to enable us to gain that righteousness we would not otherwise have. And it's important to be very clear on this. When you come to Christ, you do not come to give but to receive. You do not come to try your best, you come to trust. You do not come just to be helped but to be rescued. You do not come to be made better. You actually come to be made alive. Verse 23. Paul once again returns to the topic of sin. He's covered it in 64 <coughs> verses between uh, the end of chapter 1 and the middle of chapter 3. But he wants us to be absolutely aware of the problem, which is our unrighteousness, in order for us to appreciate the solution the gift of God's righteousness. We have to recognise, in other words, how bad the bad news is before we register how good the good news is. And he stresses again that all have sinned. There's no difference between whether you've had a privileged religious upbringing like the Jews or whether you've just kind of groped in the dark and relied a bit on what you might call general revelation. No, all mankind. There's no perfect person anywhere in the world. And we fall short, that's the present tense. In other words, we continue 
to fail to display the glory of God in our lives. That's what his intention was when he created the first human beings who bore his perfect image. That having, their, having God's image, they would actually reflect his glory in creation. But they blew it. And that's the world that we get born into, and that's our default position. We human beings naturally fail to bring him the credit that he deserves as our creator. I may be like you, I watched England play Scotland in a soccer match a couple of days ago, a European Cup qualifier. And I conceded to myself that Carhill is a better central defender than me. Now, you may well think, you know, that poor man, he's delusions of grandeur, but don't laugh. I used to play in a Kent schoolboys team, and the, the other central defender with me, next to me, used to play for England under 20, uh, England schoolboys. So don't mock, although I do concede that my teenage prowess as a footballer tends to improve with age as I reflect upon it. Um, <laughs> anyway, whether it's Carhill or whether it's me, Gareth Southgate, the England manager for the time being, um, it won't really make any difference. Unless, of course, England win the European Cup, which they won't. <laughs> Neither of us, and I, consider, I, I concede there's a considerable gap between you know, Carhill and me, neither of us are good enough to pull it off. So no matter how good you might be, you're still going to fail. And that's what we have to remember. Verse 24. Paul now returns to the goodness, um, the good news, having driven that point well and truly home, that all have sinned. Now all can be justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's such an important verse. You have to look at some of the words quite carefully. Justified, in some form or other, is a word used 15 times by Paul in Romans. Justification is a legal term that means to be declared righteous. On account of the person and work of Christ, we are declared as good as God. Justification is both instantaneous and irreversible. The moment we believe in Jesus Christ, we are, as it were, on the other side of Judgment Day, since God always keeps his word. This declaration of his is eternal. And Paul shows us that in the act of justification, God makes a judicial declaration about a, about a person's status before God himself executes his judgment on the last day. In other words, you know in advance the outcome because you have done what he requires of you in order to gain righteousness, to be justified by faith. You know in advance when I did my A-levels in economics, history and geography, it was, as is in fact it is now, uh, all down to the exams at the end of two years and nothing else. 
economics, like the others, had two papers. I think they were three hours each. And the first one was multiple choice. Now, most of us made a note of what we had selected on our multiple choice papers. And at the end of the exam, we had a debrief with our teachers and we discovered, most of us, that we'd already passed. We'd already got more than 45 out of 50. So you know long before you're ever going to get your results that at least you've got an E. You don't even have to turn up to the second paper to get an E. You have passed. So we, as we approach the end of our lives and our future judgment before God, that we have been accepted if we put our trust in him and in the work of his son, Jesus Christ. With justification, we know the outcome before the day of judgment. Now, it may help to clarify what justification is not. Justification is not forgiveness. It's more than forgiveness. While forgiveness is part of it, it's not all of it. If your teacher cancelled out your F grade, you know, it just got nicely deleted from the system, that's forgiveness. However, if your teacher were to declare your F grade an A star, that's the equivalent of being justified. Justification is not a pardon. It is more than a pardon. A pardon covers sins of the past, no judge has ever given a pardon for future crimes. Justification deals with the sins of the past, the present and the future. And justification is not a return to innocence. It's not just as if I'd never sinned. It's a state of righteousness, not of innocence. The fact that we've sinned and continue to fall short is the basis for the greatness of what God has done in justification. It's important to know that what takes place is a transaction. It's not a process. I'm not gradually being justified in the hope that someday I will be fully justified. The death of Christ took place at a point in time and my justification takes place at a point in time. Secondly, Paul goes on to write that we're justified as a gift or freely or for nothing. In John 15, 25, the same word is used when it's said that Jesus was hated without a cause. There was nothing in Jesus that deserved hatred. And there's nothing in us which deserves salvation. The idea of freely reaches back to uh, well, the verse we looked at last week, 3.21, and Paul's comment about the righteousness of God being revealed apart from the law. We cannot do, nor are we required to do. In fact, we're forbidden to even try to do good works in the hope of earning salvation. Justification comes only to those who exercise what you might call naked faith, 
empty-handed faith. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, as the hymn goes. The green beret and the and the, the, the badge, the cap badge that goes with it of the Royal Marines can only be earned. It is never given. An incredibly rigorous course has to be successfully completed before the cap and badge are awarded and someone becomes a Royal Marine. So if you get it, you deserve it. You've earned it. But that's the exact opposite to righteousness. It's not a case of uh, earned and never given. It is a case of given, never earned. You cannot save your own soul. And God will not save anyone who tries to earn salvation. But only those who humbly receive it as a free gift through faith in Jesus Christ. And thirdly, Paul states that our salvation is solely by his grace. Grace is far more than mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, in our case, death and hell. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve, eternal life and heaven. Grace means God's unmerited favour or or really that which God gives us that we don't deserve. It's a gift that sets aside all human merit. It doesn't simply give us a hand, it gives us a resurrection. Grace is all one-sided. Grace, as the old acronym goes, is God's riches at Christ's expense. What we can't do, he can do. And fourthly, Paul continues his thought by further explaining that this gift came through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. The word redemption in his day was used in the slave trade. In the Old Testament, it had been used of people being released from debt or captivity or slavery or exile or even the liability to execution. All such predicaments could be remedied by the payment of a price. In the New Testament, there is the thought of redemption from moral bondage and what one of the apostles calls an empty way of life. Now to whom the price is paid is never pressed in this image, but the price is nonetheless very clear. It was the price that Christ paid, the second member of the Trinity, who came to earth and who suffered for our sin at separation from God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So if we summarised what redemption is all about, it would be three Ps. There's the plight we were in, which was hopeless. We could not buy ourselves out. The, that's because, secondly, the price was too high. Only he could pay the price and unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. All the attention, though, is on the third P, on the person 
who paid the price, our Redeemer, who then has a proprietary right over his purchase, which he's bought with his blood. Put very bluntly, we owe him. He has a rightful rule over our lives because of it. And we should surely recognise that with willing and grateful hearts. There's an old story that Abraham Lincoln, you know, the president at the time of the Civil War, who enabled the slaves to be emancipated. Well, long before then, Abraham Lincoln, who was brought up a strict Baptist, who was not only against alcohol and uh, theatre and stuff, but was against slavery uh, many years before others were. Anyway, he went down one day to a slave block to uh, buy, a buy, buy back a slave girl. As, he looked at the, as she looked at the white man bidding for her, she figured he was another white man going to buy her and then abuse her. He won the bid, and as he was walking away with his property, he said, young lady, you are free. She said, what does that mean? It means you're free. Does that mean, she said, that I can say whatever I want to say? Lincoln said, yes, my dear, you can say whatever you want to say. Does that mean, she said, that I can be whatever I want to be? Lincoln said, yes, you can be whatever you want to be. Does that mean that I can go wherever I want to go? He said, yes, you can go wherever you want to go. And the girl, with tears streaming down her face, said, then I will go with you. Well, Romans uh, 3, 22 to 24 are three of the most important verses in the Bible. And in these verses, we've learned that God's righteousness, his salvation, is made available to those who simply believe. That salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Paul further explains that salvation, um, as our being justified, being declared righteous, he recalls salvation as a gift of grace. He even uses the imagery of redemption to demonstrate that we were held captive to sin. But Jesus Christ has paid the ransom price and released us from our captivity. So we're free to live as God intends us to live. God does what we cannot do. He's already done what was needed. It is therefore ours and anyone's for the taking. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the high price that you paid to obtain for us what we could not obtain for ourselves. As you offer it to us, May we take it. May we know our past is forgiven. May we know that our future is secured. And may we live lives in gratitude for your sacrifice for us. You died that we might live. Amen.